The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Okay, I'm relaxed on the sidelines. You're listening to Ray Ellis Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix living like it matters. It's hot in the valley. It always is. Nothing's changed, and I'm enjoying myself. As I normally do on every Tuesday as I get a chance to talk to you and bring it to you from my perspective, kind of let you know what's happening in the world of sports. And I, I think something's happened that, uh, that we all heard about, and that is it sounds like my man Brett Favre has decided to, to hang it up. And I'm wondering how many people out there, I'm sure everybody's got an opinion one way or the other, but it's interesting that in the media, athletes have been making decisions that they have found have been best for themselves and perhaps maybe their family. And to, I think to maybe majority of people, a lot of people have not been in favor of those decisions. Nobody was, well, not, I'd say the majority of people in Cleveland certainly were not happy with the fact that LeBron James decided that he was going to leave the city of Cleveland and go play someplace else, which he felt was better for himself and for his family and, and perhaps maybe a better chance for him to win a championship. Uh, Brett Favre, who has uh, decided that he's going to do what's best for, for him and his family, um, I'm not sure everybody's happy with that. But uh, there comes a time in life where sometimes you have to be a little selfish very few of us get a chance to do that. Most of us, we're always responding and reacting to decisions that um, people make for us. <laughs> but sometimes you find yourself in a position where you can make those decisions for yourself and, and make the decision that's best for you and your family. So I've got you know a few things to say about Brett. But before I do that, I'm going to get a chance to, to talk to somebody of which uh, I've known for many years. And sometimes when you get hit on your head a number of times, uh, you forget some things, but you try not to forget some people. And, and coaches have always played a very special part in my life. And uh, I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to say blessed today to have uh, a coach that I actually uh, was on the team with. Wasn't even my position coach, but I certainly enjoyed the fact uh, that he was on the staff because uh, he, like I, was uh, a part of the Ohio State University at one time in his life. And he got a chance to uh, coach under uh, one of the greatest coaches to ever coach college football. And uh, that coach uh, who he uh, was working for and I played for, a coach, of course, was uh, the great uh, Coach Woody Hayes. But right now I have on a line with me Coach uh, Chuck Clawson, who was a defensive line coach when uh, I was playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. And as I said before, uh, his days with the Eagles, he was, of course, coaching uh, at the Ohio State University before I got there. But, uh, Coach, you there? Yeah, I'm here, Ray. H how you doing there? I'm doing great, uh, Ray. 
I spent five great years with Woody at Ohio State. And uh, great players, great program, great fans, you know, uh, high expectations. Now, those Columbus fans figure you should win them all. <laughs> That's right. I, you know, I did a show uh, uh, a couple weeks ago, and I, I actually, it was a tribute to Jack Tatum. And, and I talked about the tribute, and what happened was I got a chance to meet Jack because of course, I was on the team when, when Coach Hayes uh, lost his job, and, and he was replaced by a man by the name, of course, uh, Earl Bruce. And, and with Coach Bruce, who also had played for, uh, uh, coached with the Buckeyes and played with the Buckeyes. He, I worked with Earl. Oh, there you go. Years, what, yeah. what Coach Bruce bought in, of course, uh, Jack Tatum. And uh, he bought Jack in. And one of the reasons why Coach Bruce got the job is because as I told those out there that are listening, is that, you know, we had a couple bad seasons. I think that particular year we lost three games. And, you know, three games at Ohio State is not, uh, you know, the fans aren't too happy with that. So Ray, I'll tell you, my first year at Ohio State in 1971, we'd lost three games. And it was still, you know, in my, in my experience, it was still a pretty good football team. But I can, and during football season, you're so busy coaching and dealing with players and all you're really not very in tune with what the fans are thinking uh, you know you just you're too busy but i realized in the off season wherever i went went the fans wanted to let me know that what what we had done was unacceptable wow isn't that something <laughs> and and that was in 1971 and i'm telling you to this day we're uh, closely approaching uh you know 2011 but in 2010 you and I know that three games, losing three games, at, 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 as they say now, the Ohio State University is not going to be acceptable, with the exception. If you win that one when you play that team up north, you might be okay. You might stand yeah, a chance. Yeah, yeah. I want to tell you what. The, the winning the game up north <laughs> have saved a few jobs. And, you know, it's interesting, right? When I came to Ohio State – I knew about it. I mean, you couldn't be in football and not know about Ohio State and Woody Hayes, but I didn't realize how intense that rivalry was. <laughs> and uh, I watched Woody get our team ready for that first game. We played up in uh, Ann, Ar- Ann Arbor, and Woody probably did as good a job in getting the team ready to play. And it was a game where Michigan was better than we were. They were undefeated. We'd lost three games. Uh, you know, we weren't bad, but we went up there. We lost the game, I think it was 11-9. to nine. And our players played as hard as they possibly could play. I, I don't think we could have played better, you know. And uh, then in the next four years I was there, we won three and tied one. But uh, I realized how intense that rivalry was how much the fans cared and the players cared. And Woody had decided a long time ago, we, one of the things we're going we're gonna to do is a lot of things, but one of the things we're going to do is beat Michigan. <laughs> that's exactly right. And that's why the guy that's in, the, in that seat of head coach right now, Coach Trestle, is so popular because when he arrived, he understood, unlike John Cooper, I believe, uh, that the most important thing for the Buckeye fans was to win that game against that team up north. And, and I'm glad he's been doing a good job of that. And, and I think they got a pretty good team coming up this year. But, Coach, let's, let's move on, if we will, from the Buckeyes. And, and then you left the Buckeyes and you, you came there to play for a guy, uh, uh, to coach for a guy uh, by the name of Dick Vermeil. And, and Dick, as a matter of fact, I think 
the the stamp on on Dick's career at that particular time that that elevated him to the next level was he had beat Woody I think in in the Rose Bowl or, or one beat, of those well, he beat Woody in the Rose Bowl uh, Ray I'll, I'll tell you a story about Dick for me on myself when I started off I was a high school coach in the suburbs of San Francisco Dick was an assistant at Stanford University. And I used to go like a lot of high school coaches. I went to clinics. I was one of a thousand. And uh, anyways, in 1975, we played Dick Vermeil at the Coliseum in a regular season game, a late September game. And uh, I went up at, before the ball game, introduced myself to Dick. I said, hey, Dick, I was coaching a high school in Northern California across the bay from where when you were at Stanford. And, uh, you know, so and he, he looked at me. He didn't remember. I didn't expect him to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so after the game, we got together and we talked briefly, and he wanted to know how I ended up at Ohio State and how things were. And Anyways, that year at, uh, at Ohio State, we had the number one defense in the country. I mean, we, we had great players. And so we ended up winning the Big Ten, going undefeated. We're number one in the country, and we're going to play UCLA. Now, we had beaten UCLA by three or four touchdowns earlier in the season. And uh, so I run into Dick out there at the Rose Bowl, and, and, uh, you know, at the Rose Bowl, you take a a day at Disneyland, Dick walks up, he says, Coach, uh, will you mind if I walk with you? (laughs) I said, I'd love to walk with you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, and Dick's a really a great guy and so we walked and talked and and, and you were number one coaches don't talk about football if they're going to play each other okay. okay so there wasn't wasn't like you want to know what we're doing i i mean just those would have been and we just talked about family and life and things in general anyways uh dick had asked me at the uh uh he said, Chuck, he says, you guys got the best defense in football. It's the best one we've seen. Would you put a clinic on for my defensive staff at UCLA at the National Clinic? I said, sure, Dick, I'd be, I'd be honored to do that. And so, uh, anyways, we go through the season, and, and we play them in the Rose Bowl, and Dick beats us in the Rose Bowl by couple of touchdowns i think you know the game's over and i'm thinking well dick doesn't need any clinic for me <laughs> <laughs> you know so anyways i go home and sure enough a day or two after we're home back in columbus dick calls me he says chuck you promised me a clinic for my defensive staff at the national coaches convention and i says well dick after the way you guys beat us last week i didn't think you needed a clinic but <laughs> if the you so i went and held a clinic for dick and then a month or two after that, Dick became the head coach with the Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, I told my wife, I said, now it wouldn't totally shock me if Dick offered me a job. Okay? Because oh, wow. mm-hmm. I knew he liked me, and mm-hmm. I liked him. <laughs> mm-hmm. So anyways, I'm sitting in the office, we're recruiting, and, and uh, you know, I was, and, and Dick calls me up, and he says, Chuck, he said, uh, have you ever thought about coaching pro football? And I said, no, I haven't. And he said, well, why not? I said, well, Dick, I I didn't play pro football, and I really don't know much about the pro game. I said, coaching defensive line in the Big Ten, all we had to stop the run. <laughs> and I says, I noticed on Sunday you guys passed, and That's right. I don't know a whole lot about that. And 
he said, will you come over and talk to me? And I said, yeah, I'd do that. So I went over and spent a day with Dick, and he offered me the job, and I went to Philadelphia. And uh, like anybody in a new job, I had to learn to do the job, you know. <laughs> and I would say uh, I, I remember those first few days coaching pro football. I had a certain amount of anxiety because I wasn't sure I was really qualified. But it's like anything in life, right? You learn to do it. And I learned from my players. I learned from the other coaches. I studied film. And and uh, anyways, I spent, you know, oh, uh, seven great years with Dick. And Dick, while I was there with Dick, we... Uh, we won the NFC championship and we played in the Super Bowl and and uh, we had great players. Yeah, you know, I, I, I remember that that uh, that game, of course, uh, when uh, Coach Vermeil obviously beat Coach Hayes in that game. And then I also remember the fact that uh, you know Coach Vermeil then got the uh, head coach job with the Philadelphia Eagles. And of course, Coach Hayes, being the kind of coach that he was, he was just so passionate about college football. I don't think he ever had a desire to go on to to the pro rankings. He did, right? I agree with you. And so he he of course he he stayed there. But going into Philadelphia, you know, and I came there a, a few years after you were there, Coach Chuck. But one thing that I do remember uh, about uh, Coach Dick is uh, the situations that you find that are happening today. In particular, I, I want to talk a little bit. We were, I was talking a little bit about Brett Favre. Uh, you know, a coach having a situation with a player like that. I don't ever recall. Coach Vermeil having any situations like that until, uh, and it, it wasn't even under his uh, under his watch. It happened under Marion, but the guys, you know, coming in today, that the athletes that we have today, holding out, having contract disputes. Do you remember having very many of those when you were there we with did, Coach Vermeil? Uh, you know what, Ray? Uh, we were in a different era, okay. And, and I'll, I'll tell you a couple things that that helped us. Leonard Toss was our owner when I first got there. Now, by the time you got there, I think he had sold the team. Yeah, he, okay. well, he, he owned it, but then he sold it during the time I was there to Norman Brayman. But, you're, okay. yes, you're right. Okay, well, anyways, uh, Leonard really wanted to win. And Leonard would, you know, this is pre-free agency, you know. And so, we, you know, it was one of those things that well, the player didn't have any choice. His, his job was either signed a contract with you or he went home and, got a job selling insurance you know so it's not like a it's not like being a free agent today but leonard would pay a player some extra money to get him into camp you know and and the holdouts back during that time was the player didn't show up for camp and and uh, you know and and sometimes because of that there's some bitter feelings between the owner and the player well we did not have that in philadelphia uh, I mean, first of all, Dick and Leonard got along good, and Dick told Leonard, hey, I want these guys in camp, and Leonard paid him a little extra to be there. And uh, uh, and the other thing Dick did, he got involved, and I'd I love, uh, love to tell this story because it tells you about Dick Vermeil. Was Charlie Johnson still playing with Philadelphia when you were yes, there, he, right? Yes, he was. He sure was. Okay. Anyways, Charlie... Charlie went to five straight Pro Bowls as a nose guard, and, and he, he was one of the keys. And we had the best defense in pro football for, for about four or five years in there, and, and we had a lot of good players, and Charlie played a leadership role in that. 
Anyways, back then, I had a football camp in Albuquerque, New Mexico for kids, and I'd have 500 kids come in, and I'd bring 15 to 20 pros into town, and a bunch of them were Eagles, some of my players. Anyways, at night, we had a little hospitality room where the players would come and sit around and talk, and, and Charlie tells a story that I didn't know before. I'm his coach. <laughs> and... uh Charlie Charlie said when he was a young player, Charlie came in as a seventh-round draft choice, okay? Now, I don't remember the kind of money he was making then, but he made whatever seventh-round draft choice was making at that time. i tell you what, it wasn't very much then, Coach. <laughs> no, and I'm going to say, I'll throw a number, it's in the 30,000. Yeah, there you go. 35,000 right. maybe? Right. Then that same run? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Charlie comes in and starts as a rookie. And starts every game. Now, he isn't all pro as a rookie, but he is a good football player. So, anyways, uh, you know, you, you know, you sign that contract, you make 34, and then you make 36, and then you make 38, and then you make right. 40. And That's right. And the time you're in the league in about five years, you know, you're, you're in the league for five years before you get a chance to even negotiate for some more money. Mm-hmm. Well, anyways, Dick calls Charlie in, and he says, Charlie, the way you played, we're going to – we're going to give you a raise, and we're going to raise your salary to $80,000 or doubled it. No agent, nothing involved. Charlie wasn't asking for a raise. He's doggone glad to be playing pro football. But Dick told Charlie, Charlie, you're too good a player. I need to pay you more what you're worth. So every year, Charlie's first few years in the league, Dick could call him and give him a nice raise. Well, Charlie, like everybody up, everybody else, he hits that fifth year and his contract's up. And I didn't know this until uh, until Charlie's here at my summer camp. And he's sitting talking with other players. He says, guys, and he said, let me, he tells a story about Dick. And I, Dick kept giving him a raise. He says, now my contract's up. The club has offered me $225,000. He says, my agent wants me to get 300000 He says, I will play for whatever Dick Vermeil wants me to play for. Mm. He's been so fair to me that I just, you know, uh, I just know he's going to be fair with me. And, uh, uh, you know, so anyways, and, that's a, and, that's, and I didn't know this story. Now, this, this had been going on for, you know, as a coach, Ray, you're not, Hey, we're not. We're not. We don't pay any attention to what our players are making. Yeah, that's a, that's a management problem, you know. And well, you know what's interesting about that, Coach, is that uh, I I remember being back with uh, Coach Vermeil, and it was my rookie year, and I I was a twelfth round draft pick, and I wasn't made any, making any money. I was probably making about thirty thousand dollars, and and we went on strike that second year, but prior to us going on strike. And I had heard about these things happening that Coach Vermeer would do this, but I, but I never witnessed it. But we were on the field, and I think we had played the Browns in Cleveland uh, the game before we went on strike. And, and I was competing against Randy Logan uh, from that school up north. You know, he'd been a, yeah. about ten year veteran, a damn good football player, been a couple all, all, to a couple All Pro games uh, to the Pro Bowl over there in Hawaii. And uh, I guess I was starting to you know gain some ground on him. 
And Coach Vermeil pulled me aside and said to me, you know, one day we were out stretching on the field before we started practice, that he wanted to bring me in and take me upstairs because uh, he wanted to, you know, look at my deal and, and do it over again. So I was aware of the fact that Coach Vermeil was doing those things. And it's, it's, it's interesting because today, I, I guess for some players, that's what happens when, when they look at them being maybe in the last year of their contracts, you know, like Tom Brady is being faced with mm-hmm. now, you know, being in the last year of their contracts, and, and a younger kid comes in and maybe making more money than his star player. You know, I guess Coach Vermeil wanted to make sure that he took care of his players. Now, I, I remember Coach Vermeil, and I don't want to talk about him as if he's, he's no longer here, <laughs> but yeah. you know, I just remember him being a, a coach who was fair and who wanted to p- pay a guy for, for what he was worth, particularly if you were putting out on the field. And, uh, you know, and the play, you know what? The players love playing for Dick. And and we love coaching for him. Now, he worked our butt off. He, he did that. We, you got to put that in there, Coach. You can't leave that out now. There's nobody that worked the team harder. And and since you brought that up, uh, you, you know that the story that haunts everybody over there in Philadelphia about the first Super Bowl opportunity was that when you guys went down there and, and played against, of course, Jack Tatum and the Raiders. And, and, and everybody talks about how, her, how hard the team uh, worked uh, prior to the game and that the team actually played the game on the field. Now, we're both friends with Coach Vermeil, so, so we won't let him know that we talked about this on the show. But what do you think happened? Do well, you think that had you, anything you, you, to do you, with it? You know what? It's, it, when you lose a game, you always look back and wonder. And... Our team, I'll say this, uh, our, we worked our team really hard, you know, and, 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 and uh, for the Super Bowl. But that's what we always did, right? And, and I just, you know, it's easy to look back and when you lose a ball game, uh, we overworked our players. Well, we don't know whether we overworked our players or not. The only thing we know is that the rate, the, I'll tell you what was a bigger factor in that game, right, than, than our Maybe overworking our players. Our players were used to work, but we had played the Raiders three times that year. We played them the last game of the exhibition season out in, in out in uh, Oakland. We played them during the regular season in Philadelphia, and we beat them both times. As a matter of fact, I'm coaching the defensive line. <laughs> Against the Raiders in the regular season, we got nine sacks. It's an all-time record, mm. you know. And uh, anyways, I think when we found out we were going to play the Raiders in the Super Bowl, I think the natural feeling of our players and coach, hey, we beat these guys twice. That's just as good. Just go out and beat them again. And and I think. What what players forget and so what coaches forget sometimes how hard it was to win the first two games, how hard we played, how hard we prepared, and I think we just assumed we were going to beat the Raiders. Well, while we're sitting there studying, getting ready for the Super Bowl, watching us watching ourselves beat the Raiders, the Raiders are watching themselves get beat by us. Wow, that's right. And I think the Raiders came in that Super Bowl. They were angry. Wow. They were not going to lose to us to a third, third time in, in, in one season. And we came in uh, overconfident. And and then all of a sudden, you know, you, you know this yourself as an athlete. You know, if you don't 
go in the game ready to play. You can't decide you're going to be ready in the middle of the first quarter. <laughs> no, late. no, you're right about that, Coach. It's, it's very few times that, that a player goes into a game and he's feeling a certain kind of way and he's able to shake it off. You know, they always talk about shake it off, shake it off. If you if the energy level is not there, if you're not prepared mentally to the point where, it's, as Crash used to say, and Crash, God bless his soul, that's Frank Gans, our, our special teams coach. Yep. You know, he used to say that you have to be trained. The subconscious mind must be trained that when you approach the game, it, it takes over. There's no thinking it happens. You are already prepared. Those things just happen. Hey, yeah, you know what, Ray? That you see, that's a hundred percent correct. And I think that, you know, in football, and I, I'm going to say probably everything in competition, you probably relate this to things that we do business-wise, and things particularly are competitive. You've got to be at the top of your game, and you got to be ready to play. And it's too late after you get started to get yourself ready to play. And I think that happened to us in the Super Bowl, and. Uh, you know, and I think that's a, that was a bigger factor than what we did in Brexit. We always worked hard. <laughs> yeah. You're an eagle. That's just the way it was. Yeah, and, and I think that's one thing that, that the the guys were accustomed to. I mean, because when I came, and I came, of course, the year after the Super Bowl, and, and, and I, everybody prepared me for you know, a dig for meal training camp. I mean, the way our trainer, who was Ron, I forget Ron's last name at the moment, the way Ron worked us out in the offseason. Ron O'Neill. Ron O'Neill. And if you remember, Ernie Mayo, you know, had us in the in the weight room. You know, we worked very hard. And, uh, and you know, and, and Charlie Johnson, of course, was a military guy. So, you know, he was accustomed to working hard all the time. And and I, and I want to ask this, and we got to go to break, Coach. You'll hear a little music that will take us in the break uh, here in okay. a couple seconds. But, you know, Charlie Johnson always came – in shape. The guys, they didn't come to training camp to get in shape. We always came to training camp in shape. Now, I understand right now there's a man who's playing down there for the Washington Redskins, and, and you and I know a lot about the Washington Redskins. As a matter of fact, I want to pay a little tribute to a guy by the name of uh, Russ Grimm, who you know very well, who's about I to go. I know <laughs> Russ is coaching out there with At the uh, Arizona Cardinals. Arizona Cardinals. That's I right. saw Russ when I was I've got family who lives in Phoenix. And yeah. When I was, I went by the Cardinals. I've got several friends working there, and I talk. Russ was one of the hogs. Well, I'll tell you what, Coach, and it's so funny you mentioned that because, see, what I wanted to say is that, you know, Albert is a guy, Albert Hainsworth we're talking about now, the $100 million yeah. lineman who can't seem to get himself in shape to pass this, this, this test uh, so they can release him to play. Our our linemen, our our entire team always came ready to play and in shape, and, and I'm just curious now. I mean, you never your guys always came; they were always in shape. You know, maybe Bigfoot didn't want to run a lot. I'm just just laughing. Dennis Harrison always worked very hard. Carl Harrison always worked. Claude Humphrey always worked very hard. I mean, you just had lineman after lineman. Charlie uh, Carl Harrison. That was hey. That was the price of being on the team. And, and so and and, and and you know Dick. Dick would have cut a player if he if he didn't have good work habits. And, and I, I mean, I see. I remember, you know, as coaches, we and when we first came to Philadelphia, Dick told us, he says, "Guys, we're going to be a hard-working team, and, and if the if we get a player that can't do it, I'm going to fire him." Because I don't care how good they are. And he meant that too. I mean, I I, I was accustomed to guys getting cut. I mean, it, it could be a regular season game. It could be a game during the year, and somebody does something that you know, Coach Vermeil feels just you know that's we can't have that. We're not going to tolerate that. There were guys that were cut, 
during the season. I mean, football today is a lot different than it was uh, in those days in the mid-'80s. But, uh, but as a result of what, it, what happened back then, there are some good things that are happening today, too. And, and we're going to talk about some of those things. We, I see we got to take a break here, Coach. If you can hold on, we're going to take a break. You listen to Ray Ellis Sports on the Voice America Network. I got one of my favorite coaches from back in the day with me, Chuck Clawson from the Philadelphia Eagles. And we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. So Andy Serling packed his bags, left the city, and is enjoying his temporary digs in Saratoga. But that won't stop us from bringing you Playing to Win, the best online handicapping show for serious horse players. Catch Andy and his great lineup of guests every week throughout the month of August on location from the beautiful Saratoga Racecourse. He and his guests are some of the best in the biz. They bring you new insights to making money, and they tell it like it is. I'm 3-5-1 in this race, but the three is very much the one to be. We're going to completely disagree on this race. I absolutely disagree. Spicer, especially at one to two. And it's anything but the same old horse racing show. This is a nine horse field, but really there are seven donkeys and two zebras. Playing to win with Andy Serling, a show seriously committed to making more money at the game, but with a personality. This is a dunce cap horse for me. If this horse wins next week, I got the dunce cap on. YouBet.com's Playing to Win, presented by the Daily Racing Forum. Look for it the day before big race days, mostly Fridays. Find a complete schedule in the Daily Racing Forum or click on Playing to Win at YouBet.com. You already get the general sports headlines and discussion on TV and radio. Tune in to The Blueprint with Randall Gatewood. Yeah, we'll cover all the general big-name stuff, too, but we go beyond the typical sports radio show to bring you the details you don't get anywhere else. We'll talk about the inspirational stories and the little-known successes. If you want creativity, The Blueprint is the place to be. Tune in every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Do you love sports talk? Can't get enough sports talk? Have we got a show for you. It's about the NFL training camps, Super Bowl previews, a look at the new starting quarterbacks, and weekly key injuries. We'll take your calls and emails right on the air. Former Philadelphia Eagle James Loving is your host, and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot. Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific time 3 p.m eastern time on the voice america sports channel your internet flagship station for sports voice america sports yeah it's been a long time coming but you know what they say kaya slow motion better than no motion Okay, we're back. You listen to Rail of Sports on the Voice of America Network. I'm going to finish living like it matters. And uh, I got a couple friends on the line with me. But first, I'm going to finish up with uh, Coach Clawson. And, uh, and then we're going to have our other special guest join us. But, Coach, I just wanted to, uh, as I said, I wanted to pay a little tribute to, you know, a guy by the name of, uh, of Russ Grimm. And uh, I, I remember my days of playing against the Hogs. And, and, and one thing about the Washington Redskins, and I, of course, was in Philadelphia from 81 through 85, so I came there from the time, uh, the year after, of course, we lost that Super Bowl to the Raiders, and I stayed there until uh, 85, uh, well, actually the 86 season. Then I, of course, was uh, shipped off to uh, Cleveland. But uh, I do not remember. I mean, I know, you know, they had John Riggins and, 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 and Joe Washington, of course. Uh, but I do not remember them having their best games 
against the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, tell me some of your stories about getting and preparing for, for Russ Grimm and the Hogs with that defensive line you had, which was a pretty damn good one. Well, you know, they were <laughs> they were as good on offense as we were on defense. And, and I'll tell you something that you may not know. Uh, their offensive line coach was Joe Bugle. Joe Bugle had coached for, with Woody at Ohio State. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, one thing that one thing that that if you work for Woody, winning was a battle of will. Okay, and if you're a lineman, what you're going to do is you're going to hit that other guy so hard and so long that he can't take it, and he'll eventually quit. Now that was the Woody Hayes philosophy. Wow. Well. Joe Bugle had his hogs. They're teaching the same philosophy over down there in Washington. We're teaching in Philly. <laughs> so it was a battle of will. And Russ Grimm probably was the best of the hogs. I mean, he was an all-pro football player. I remember Russ when he came out of, uh, out of Pittsburgh. But uh, Russ really represented what Joe Bugle wanted in the in football player you know i mean he was a he was an intense and tenacious guy and uh and he was wasn't gonna let up and he was there to break your will and uh so i had immense respect uh for those guys and i remembered i'd see joe every once in a while and uh joe and i joked about it we were to, we were coaching the woody hayes philosophy of football Three yards and, in a cloud of dust. <laughs> yeah, we weren't trying to fool you. You know, what he used to tell us, he says, I'll send them the playbook. Oh, I, I, I like that kind of football, too. I, I do like that kind of football. Listen, there's some there's some more of the Woody Hayes bloodline that's about to also go into that same class of, of pro football. Reagan's uh, right, Wiggins, Reagan's left. Oh, there you go. But tell me a little bit about uh, another man who's about to join this class this year of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, and that's Dick LeBeau. Did you spend any time with Dick? You know what? Dick's an Ohio State guy, and and I I know Dick, but he's not a guy that I know well. Okay, I I coached with some guys that played with Dick at uh, uh, played with Dick at Ohio State and played with him in the pros. And uh, you know, Dix has been a, been a, a great defensive coach. I mean, he's a, one of the most respected guys in 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 the league. But I, Dick's not a guy that personally I knew him more by reputation. By I knew teammates of Dix, and I knew guys that played for Dick, and uh, I knew the immense amount of respect they had for. Yeah, him. and I'll tell you what, coach, he's got a hell of a reputation, and I think he still owns all the interception records back at, at the Ohio State University, which is why I could never get one. But <laughs> but uh, but listen, Coach, I want to thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. I'm going to be in touch with you. I, I know you're in the real estate business down there in uh, in, in the Georgia area, and and I'm sure I'm, it's, it's making a comeback down there probably a little bit better than we're doing out here in Arizona. But right, uh, I'd be ha- happy to talk to you anytime you want to, Ray. I'll, I'll be sure to give you a call. Thanks a lot. That, of course, was uh, Coach Chuck Clausen. Who, uh, who was uh, with me in Philadelphia with the Philadelphia Eagles on that Super Bowl coaching staff that took the Eagles against the Raiders, against our, our dear friend Jack Tatum. And, of course, the Eagles didn't win that game. But uh, uh, next time I get coached on, I'm going to ask him a little bit about the 
probably one of the, the greatest free agents, the one who got it all started anyway, his first day of practice with the Philadelphia Eagles, and that was the great Reggie White. So uh, coach is gone. But I got on with me now, Arturo Freeman. Arturo, you there? Yes, sir. How you doing, man? Uh, hanging in there, man. Hanging man. in there. Excited about being on your show, bro. For man, real. I appreciate it, and I look forward to you having your show here on Voice America Sports. So I, I wanted to get you on because I wanted to talk about some things that are happening in camp, you know, as we speak. And, and But I heard okay. something that was a little disturbing a little bit because – uh, you know, many times, you know, today with free agency, you get a lot of guys that, that some guys come, some guys go, you know, you're here on one team, but you're on another team. Uh, San Diego Chargers, they're having some issues out there with some players who got caught up in, 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 in the new contract and in, in the new collective bargaining agreement that's being negotiated. So they're right in between the new one that's being negotiated and the old one that exists. And there was a stipulation that if, if there were any players that their contract expired during this period of time, after their fourth year, they couldn't become a free agent. They'd have to wait to their sixth year. So they're having a lot of trouble with a couple guys out there that want to get some of that, you know, that money that's out there. But but also, there seems to be an issue now. Now LT is gone, and uh-huh. and, and of course he was a great teammate for them while he was there. But but now that he's gone, he, he's he's getting some of that LeBron James windfall backlash. You know why is it that you think that that, that guys have this negative thing to say about LT now that he's he's gone as opposed to when he was there? You know I had some questions. I, I had questions when he was when of course they was in that uh, that championship game and he didn't go back in because he was injured. But but Philip Rivers went back in. So. What, what do you think about this, man? I mean, if you really oh, felt man, that way, why didn't you say it before? Yeah, you, you. I mean, that's that statement that you know, man up. Oh, there you, you know, go. That, that we that we like to use. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if you have something to say, say it then. You know, don't wait till I'm gone. Don't say it behind my back. Um, yeah, it's a big question mark when he, he didn't play in that championship game. He didn't come back in. Uh, duh, I think it was kind of like downhill since then. Um, but you know, nothing to take nothing away from LT. A uh, great running back, and I'm wishing the best in New York, and um, you know, continue success because we all, all family, we are football players, you know, first we were at Harden since we were kids. But it's 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 real, real, real tough right now going on with uh with the situation. What you were saying about the the, the gentlemen, the guys, the young players that are are looking for a payday, you know, and in, in their mind they're looking for security. Who isn't these days? I mean, with families and being young and things like that, anything can happen. You know, with the economy and the way it is and you out there busting it, your butt and laying it on the line. Those guys are looking. They had a crossroad. They're looking for security. But um, we just got to, man, just stick together and hope, hold those guys well and wish them well. And, you know, <laughs> that's all we can do right now and watch things unfold. Yeah, and, you know, and what's, what's so difficult about that is, you know, you, you could be in a situation whereas, okay, they're saying, well, now you, you're, you're stuck in this position whereas we don't have to. Uh, renegotiate your contract. You can't become a free agent now, so you're not going to get that free agent money. And, and and some people don't realize that two years, they, they have to not wait instead of being their, their fourth year, they have to wait until their sixth year. Two years, that's more than half of the life expectancy of a pro football player. The expectancy is only three and a half years. They're asking yeah. him to play another, them to play another two years. Two years. And my, it What's that word you like to use? They're going to flip it on them and say it's a business now? Uh, yeah, you see? Now, it, it, it two, <laughs> and, and what's going to happen? Those two years, next year will be one of those years. Well, this year will be one of those years, and maybe next year. Be, but next year there might be 18 games instead of just 16 games. And the thing about it is you're going to have a lot of guys that are going to be kind of bamboozled. And basically, you know, if it's 10 guys, 
seven are probably going to go play and mess it up for the other three. Um, I think you, you have to use your head. I think you have to understand that uh, something has to be done. I mean, the, the future is, is, is really riding on what happens with these guys right now, um, That what they're going through and things like that. So I hope something gets done that, that's in a, a – you know, benefiting these guys, to, you know, to either see a payday or not. You know, the guys are worthy of a payday. I believe in paying them. Yeah, you know, I agree. The that's the little statement goes with if they're worthy and they have potential and you want to pay them early, then, you know, it's a good thing for the owners. You may get them for a little bit cheaper because they are in a little bit of a desperate mode right now to get paid. So because they're scared of what's going to happen. So, I mean, they they produce, pay them, you know, you, you send you send volume, you send you, you want to get a message across in the locker room, pay your guys. Yeah, and I think that that's the kind of team you want to play for. You want to play for a team that certainly is going to pay your guys. Listen, there's, there's a team that is paying guys, and that's the Washington Redskins. Albert Hainsworth shows up, <laughs> can't pass the test. Okay, now come on now. You were a DB, I was a DB. That's a little bit different. I mean, I don't, I don't. Well, I'm not going to say that because I know when I was at Ohio State in school, a couple times there was a test that some guys we took, and a couple guys missed it. But at, is there a point in time where you say, okay, the guy missed the test? But we got to keep going, and, and he's got to keep playing. He, he he can't sit out every day just because he doesn't pass the test. I think we got maybe two or three times to pass the test. After that, it's like, okay, yeah, it's time to line up and play. I mean, you know what, for somebody, uh, he played uh, a little bit way before me, and at the same time, I had this, the same type of mentality coaches that probably coached you. Uh, and I come from the Jimmy Johnson area, although Dave Wanstead was our coach. You know, and it was just that, 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 that breed of coaches that – you know, hard work. You know, guys that can play, dedication. You know, we had guys. We had the big, the big linemen, the same size as Albert Hainsworth. You can't really replace those guys. And I mean, that's that's the problem. You understand what I'm saying? That's. I mean, you can't replace a six-six, three-hundred-something guy, and he's not going to run the the the, the three-hundred-yard shuttle that you probably got. That's probably ridiculous in camp. Uh, he's not going to pass that test. But what no. you do with a guy like that is the fact that, you know, you keep him going. Hey, Albert, you're a part of this team. You're going to earn your money. You're going to, you know, guys, you rally around. Because, we, you know, we need you. But at the same time, Albert should be taking it upon himself. I'm playing the greatest sport in the world. I got to get better. I got to get to myself physically conditioned to a point where he's able to, to survive and live. Because he's putting his life on the line he's not, if he's not in shape. That's right. To go play and perform. So, at the end of the day, it has to click. You know what I'm saying? Okay, how much money you got. You If, you, if you're not alive, you can't enjoy. You can't. You can't do anything. That's so, right. Hey, listen, we're gonna have to take a, we're gonna have to take a break here in a second, Arturo. But I, I agree with you uh, for health purposes. If nothing else, Albert should understand that, man, there's some people that are coming. They'll try to put you through these tests, and they're not, they're not purposely trying to punish you. But no. pe- people can die on the field if they're not in proper shape. So I'm sure they're monitoring his, you know, his heart rate and everything else. But, but you're right. In today's society, particularly these you know, athletes that are 300-plus pounds, and even though he's lost about 40 pounds, I believe he's lost, he still needs to be in the proper shape in order to play a football season. Listen, you're listening to Rail Sports on the Voice America Network. I got my man on the phone with me, Archero Freeman, former DB. But what we're going to do, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back and finish up on the show. So I had to dig what I had to dig because I had to give. Is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we 
We cover, we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. So Andy Serling packed his bags, left the city, and is enjoying his temporary digs in Saratoga. But that won't stop us from bringing you Playing to Win, the best online handicapping show for serious horse players. Catch Andy and his great lineup of guests every week throughout the month of August on location from the beautiful Saratoga Racecourse. He and his guests are some of the best in the biz. They bring you new insights to making money, and they tell it like it is. I'm 3-5-1 in this race, but the 3 is very much the one to be. We're going to completely disagree on this race. I absolutely disagree. Spicer, especially at one to two. And it's anything but the same old horse racing show. This is a nine horse field, but really there are seven donkeys and two zebras. Playing to win with Andy Serling, a show seriously committed to making more money at the game, but with a personality. This is a dunce cap horse for me. If this horse wins next week, I got the dunce cap on. YouBet.com's Playing to Win, presented by the Daily Racing Forum. Look for it the day before big race days, mostly Fridays. Find a complete schedule in the Daily Racing Forum or click on Playing to Win at YouBet.com. Get ready to go inside the minds and behind the scenes with the top professional athletes, celebrities, and music entertainers. It's a sports show like no other. Keeping it real. Keeping it real with former NFL wide receiver Jarris McIntyre is real talk with in-depth interviews, topical discussions, and a whole lot of comedy. You'll hear from the entertainers, the athletes, and the fans. Keeping it real. Keeping it real with Jarris McIntyre is broadcast live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Do you love sports talk? Can't get enough sports talk? Have we got a show for you. It's about the NFL training camps, Super Bowl previews, a look at the new starting quarterbacks, and weekly key injuries. We'll take your calls and emails right on the air. Former Philadelphia Eagle James Loving is your host, and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot. Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Okay, we got that music. That means the break is over. You listen to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters. I want to thank again. Earlier today, I had my uh, special guest on, Coach Chuck Clausen, uh, former Philadelphia Eagle coach. When I was there, I enjoyed Coach Chuck. Got a Buckeye, got some Buckeye blood in his veins, and I appreciate that. And now I got on. On with me today, my special guest, uh, Arturo Freeman, who has uh, been a DB in the league. Uh, of course, was uh, drafted by the Miami Dolphins, spent some time with the New England Patriots and the Green Bay Packers. And, uh, of course, we were just talking about uh, the big fella who can't seem to get himself into shape. But, but there is a young man that is in shape but is not in camp. Supposed to be the best cornerback in the league. And, uh, of course, that is uh, Revis up in and. And and with the Jets and Archer, what what do you think about that man? You the best in the game. Should you be paid like you the best in the game? Uh, no question. Uh, it's no question, especially if you do it early. Uh, you know, once again, guys, this is this this is the the top. This is supposed to be the, the the highest level of competition. And if somebody goes out and is named, you know, not only you know by uh, by by onlookers and coaches and you know, people who have played the game and players that are currently playing as one of the guys who has this, one of the tightest skills and uh, has perfected the cornerback position, and we're not done seeing players like him. 
because guys are going to keep getting better and better and early. You have to go ahead and reward them. You got to pay them if you want to make them a jet. And at the end of the day, if you want to, you know, shut down half of the field, Deion Sanders have done it. And, you know, those guys who fit that mold, you kind of got to just do what you have to do. If, even if it's a three-year deal, give them a guy an extension, um, you know, keep keep making it happen. Do what you have to do. I mean, you they they do it for the big the big six six D tackles. You know, the Richard Seymour that when he was in New England. You know, every other year do different contract or this or that. I mean, go ahead and give give the guy what he needs and you know get him in camp now so that you guys can can perform and and, and perform high and get jealous for that defense. Now, one thing about it, I mean, contracts become so much of. Of, of the conversation on, on, on my talk show, on other sports talk shows, in the newspaper, in the media. You know, I'm just starting to think, you know, when you look at the media, and, and I'm not sure because I'm a part, of, and I'm trying to stay on the positive side of this. I, Being a former player, you know, we always tend to side with the players, and we believe that the players should get what they're worth. Uh, and and if, he's, if he's worthy of being called, and you want to call him the best cornerback, I think you should pay him. And I agree with that. But do you think it takes away from the player himself in terms of, of his image and his reputation when all of a sudden he has to hold out in order to get what he deserves to play the game? Do, do people think less of him and different of him when he's holding out as opposed to somebody that's in camp and, and wants to play and say, okay, I'll play the contract that I have? Well, of, of course they do because they're only thinking about the game. Uh, and that's, that's people that's not playing. You know, you know, you know. Our golden rule inside, inside the locker room, inside the huddle, inside on the field, is that you, you know, this is you, you're one injury away from never ever playing again in your life. You know, it, Lord forbid if something happened to the gentleman, and uh, ankle blows out, and he's done. He's he he didn't get his due. You know, so he has it's it's a catch twenty two. He has to protect his injury. He has to protect his potential. He has to protect his. Uh, his livelihood, things like that. He has to secure himself for the future. But, yes, yeah, sometimes people are going to look down on him and say he should honor his contract, he should play it out. But guess what? I do believe in performance. I mean, they wouldn't be able to, I mean, they wouldn't have performance-based checks if, if it wasn't a such thing. You know, they're paying young guys that are playing above their contract in performance pay. So, you know what, if this guy came in the first two years and he played above the contract he was rewarded with and he's doing a hell of a job, Give it to him. And that's what and, and that's what even the GM is saying that listen, he, he outperformed his contract, you know. And so it must have been that if you looked at that contract, he must have made every incentive in the contract, you know. He mm-hmm. obviously, you know, like you said, the production was there and so he's worthy of of a different type of compensation and and hopefully he will get it. Let me ask you, just just looking around the league in terms of a, a surprise team, it's kinda early, but just what you've seen in the off season you know, keeping your ear to the, you know, to the ground. Uh, what have What have you seen or heard to make you think that there's going to be a team out there who possibly could surprise everybody? And if so, who who is that team out there? Oh man, uh, I think the Vikings are going to surprise a lot of people. Although they had a good year last year, you know, even Brett Favre uh, won't be back. I think it takes a lot of pressure off of them to perform. And I think that it can go out there with, you know, with Adrian Peterson, you know, running as hard as he does and, and basically, you know, win that division again. Uh, you know, this time get past the New Orleans Saints because that, that stigma of Brett Favre is there and they're thinking that, it, you know, the pressure is kind of off of the team because now people are thinking that, well, they're not going to do as great because of Brett Favre or things like that. So Minnesota is one of my picks. You know, they're not really a surprise team. So I got to give you another pick because they kind of out the loop. Um, I, I'm, I'm honestly, I think Washington may 
may may catch a couple of people. I've always think that the NFC sometimes is kind of weak. <laughs> wow. But, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Playing in the AFC, I mean, you know, NFC, you know, you, you guys don't play no football, man. <laughs> I'm gonna so let anyway. that go, man. But but I fin- I finished my career in AFC over with the Browns, so I, but I'm gonna let that. <laughs> you know we're rough over there, man. But uh, nah, the NFC is tough, tough as well. But um, um, I'm you know I'm throwing it out there, watching it maybe because just because of Shanahan and that that those early days in Denver when they ran down here running style, the you know the slant and the cutbacks. Uh, Clint Porter's back. He may resurrect Clint Porter's career. Uh, yeah, I mean I don't think they're gonna do something. Major, but I think they can actually spark a little bit. Maybe give the Giants a little play. Maybe bounce that thing up with uh, with Dallas, and maybe give you know on the other side, give some, you know some that little that little rivalry may get sparked up a little bit. You know, if they can run the football. Yeah, well, I think Shanahan's doing a tremendous job of taking a lot of pressure off of himself and mm-hmm. taking a lot of pressure off of Donovan McNabb by focusing on Albert Hainsworth. So that, I think that's kind of a that's blessing real. to him. That's, yeah, that's, 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 yeah, I think that's a real smart. blessing for him. I also, I, I'll tell you what, I, I got a surprise pick that I'm going to pick, and I'm going to throw it out here because I, th- I looked at their schedule, and I just look at the conference, and I just think that those San Francisco 49ers, I just think Mike Singletary got something up his sleeve. And, and, and yeah, I, I think it's probably, I think it's this year. I think it's either this year or, you know, you can't say next year because it's not, not given to us, but, yeah. I think he's 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 he had to go in and lay the foundation how, how he want football to be played in San Francisco, and I think uh, they're another another conference that can sneak up with some people too as well. Uh, so uh, you know, I I, I kind of like I might second that emotion with you with with um with San Fran. Yeah, I, will, I mean they're one of my childhood favorite teams, so I would like for them to do well anyway. Oh, there you go, and, and Jerry, of course, going into the Hall of Fame. Big shout out to, of course, Jerry Rice and Emmitt yes. Smith and, and Floyd Little and Russ Grimm and and all those guys going to the Hall of Fame. Listen, I, I'm going to throw one in there real fast because we got about a minute left in this show. You know, <laughs> you throw one in there. They, they got these people. I'm going to change the subject. I'm going I'm to do a 180 on you. LeBron James. Everybody's Uh-oh. just so pissed off about what's happening with LeBron James. He made a, a media spectacle of ESPN. ESPN. Can you please tell me what ESPN is doing to itself when it then turns around again and now it's trying to make fun of Albert Hainsworth out trying to pass his physical by by having, uh, you know, I, I guess Mike Golick out there. And then they're going to put a, a female out there who's trying to pass these tests. Come on. How much of a spectacle of athletes uh, of athletics are you trying to make yourself when you try to do something like this? At least what LeBron did was trying to put a positive spin on the fact that he was going to another team and now let me at least acknowledge this charity. I, man, I'm telling you what, this world, I don't know what it's coming to. <laughs> oh my God, because you know what, people love people love mess. Well, yeah, it, I, it's, I, a, love, it's, it's a lot of mess, man, I'm telling you. And, and ESPN has <laughs> is, is, is got a deep spoon, man, and they they dig it real deep, but I'll yeah, tell you what. Be careful. They, got, they better be careful, because that's, that's, I mean, I mean, hey, that's why Voice America's here, we're here to tell the truth, and we're here that's right. I appreciate that. Hey, I'm going to have my man telling the truth on his own show, Arturo Freeman. We'll have his show here on Voice America Sports real soon, so be sure to listen to it. You've been listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix Living Like It Matters, and I'll see you next time, which will be the best time. But together we be the perfect soulmates. Talk to me, girl. Oh, baby. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.